We're going to look at um, people who got to interact with Jesus, have dinner with him, ask him questions, hear his response, see what he has to say. And if you're not a Christian and you're just checking this whole thing out, um, no matter what you believe about Jesus, that would be a fascinating conversation. And so if I were going to like um, flip the question and say, who would I love to hear speak live? Of course, Jesus would be the one. I would want to hear, what does he sound like? What's he like? What's his deal? What's his demeanor? And so we're going to be looking at a story in which people got to have uh, dinner with Jesus, hang out a little bit, ask him questions. And it's going to be in the book of Mark. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you got a Bible app, you're going to get into Mark uh, chapter 2. Mark chapter two, and if you're uh, if you're not a Bible person and you're not uh, familiar with the Bible, there's the New Testament. That's kind of Jesus and after, and then we have the four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all the the stories of Jesus, his life, written by uh, eyewitness testimony. And so we get insight into who Jesus was and what he was about. And so in this story, um, we actually get the eyewitness account of uh, one of Jesus' disciples. So here's how it goes. I'll read it through and then we'll kind of look at it. Mark 2, starting at verse 13, all right? So Mark 2, starting at verse 13 says this. Once again, Jesus went out uh, beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Okay, does anybody know what other name Levi goes by? It might even be in your translation. Does anybody know? Anybody, little Bible quiz here? Russell, tell me. Nobody, all right, good. Anybody? Matthew, thank you. There we go. Levi, also known as Matthew. And there's a gospel, Matthew. Okay. All right. Just a little fun fact for you guys. Uh, as Levi's son of Alphaeus was sitting at the tax collector's booth, Jesus says, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So very famous passage. We're going to, we actually find it in other gospel accounts as well. It's told in a very similar manner. And, and whenever I look at a, a piece of scripture, I like to ask some questions of it to help me dig a little bit deeper. So some of the questions that I'll ask, especially when I'm reading stories about Jesus, is I will ask like the who, what, where, why kinds of questions. And so I want to ask just those very basic questions to this passage and see if we can figure out um, the, the who, the what, the where, and the why is in regards to Jesus' ministry, because that's really what this passage um, is about. And so the question, kind of the climax of the story, is when the Pharisees ask him this. They say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it's not really a question, it's more of an accusation. It's kind of like, why are you dressed like that? Why do you make that face? Why are, you know, it's not really a question. I'm really making an accusation. And so they're accusing him. Why are you hanging out with these people? You're supposed to be a, a rabbi. You're supposed to be a God follower. You're supposed to be someone who knows the law and who knows all the rules and is supposed to be dedicated to God. Why would you be hanging out with these, these outsiders? And so that kind of brings us to the first question I have, which is, well, who is Jesus' ministry for? And Jesus answers it for us right away. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so if Jesus were to kind of give you a, a statement of, here's who my ministry is about, I would imagine as he's sitting at this party, he goes, you know, my, my ministry is about the outcast. It's about the, the degenerates. It's about the losers. 
It's about these people in here. And you gotta imagine they're, they're kind of listening to him going, Jesus, we can hear you like say that right now. Like we know that we're outcasts. We know that we're you know, morally not all that great. Some of us are prostitutes in here, but you really gotta call us out like that. Yeah, that's who I'm here for. We gotta admit right away who we are because that's who I have come to serve. And he also answers in that same, uh, same uh, passage or that same sentence why he came. And it's pretty obvious. If the people that he came for are people who are sick, the reason why he came is because he believes he can bring some kind of healing, that he has the answer to the question that everybody is asking, that somehow there's not just a sickness physically, because it doesn't mention any kind of sickness physically. There's obviously a moral sickness happening there, but I think on a deeper level, there's a soul sickness. And somehow Jesus believes that he can answer or he can be the cure for that sickness. Now, this is very different than all other world religions, philosophies, even, um, uh, even government systems. It's because everybody in the world knows that there is something wrong with them, there's something wrong with their society, and there's something wrong with the world at large. And then Jesus comes along, and he is very different than all other philosophers and religious leaders and revolutionaries because he says not only is there something wrong, but he doesn't point us to this government system will fix it. This way of governing the world will make things better. Or he doesn't come along and say, well, this is the path to God. Here are some rules that you can follow. Here are some directions. He goes, no, 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 no. There is only one thing that's going to be able to solve your soul sickness, and that is me. And he's going to kind of flesh that out a little bit. But he, he already begins, begins with some pretty audacious claims about himself that somehow he is the answer to our soul sickness. In step one, as we're learning what the gospel is and why Jesus came, is he claims that everybody in the world has a soul sickness. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, everybody has this soul sickness. And eventually we have to admit that we have it. Um, one of the things that people kind of I don't know, cringe or they push back on when you're talking about Christianity and faith is, is they don't like the idea of that um, humans are evil, right? That maybe we are born naturally evil. We have this disposition. Everybody likes to think of people as ah, at their core, they're good. They just do bad things. Well, in the scriptures, it points out the fact that um, not only is nobody perfect, but everybody is sick because that's kind of the same thing, right? Is I'm not perfect. Well, that means that there's something wrong with you. That means that you're not completely well, and we say this all the time, well, everybody makes mistakes, right? Exactly, that is the point, is everybody makes mistakes. There is something wrong with you and something wrong with me. And so the people who look into the mirror and they realize, man, I've got a problem. I've got this internal code. And whether you believe in the Bible or not and whether you follow the Bible or not, you know that there is something right and there is something wrong. And you oftentimes do the thing that you know that you should not do. There is something inside of you that, can, that continues to want to do things. I, like, I think of it like this. Amy and I talk about it all the time. Um, people in the Bible are referred to as uh, sheep. Sheep are really, really dumb, right? That's why they call us sheep in the Bible. And it's because sheep do this thing, which is kind of bizarre, is um, they have no regard for their own well-being. And I just think of sheep as like running off whatever cliff they can find. You know, they're like, do right? And I just think that's us. We just try to find the closest cliff and we're just going to just sail off of it. And everybody else is looking at us going, why are they doing that? Why are they dating them? Why are they, you know, and it's just like, I don't know. I just want to find a cliff and fly. And it's like, we're just, and that's why we're just continuing to be self-destructive. And so Jesus says, 
I came for the people who can look in the mirror and realize, man, I am not who I am supposed to be. I continue to self-destruct. I continue to do things that I know are going to be harmful to me and to others. There is something not quite right with me. Now, the problem is that uh, many of us, we are not fully convinced that there is something wrong with us. We would admit that, yes, I'm not perfect, and yes, I do some things sometimes that I'm not so proud of, but I haven't done anything major. I'm not really that bad. I haven't been to prison. I haven't done anything crazy. I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty, uh, I'm a well, uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a, a law-abiding citizen, um, and somehow we've convinced ourselves that because we're not as sick as other people, that therefore means that we are well. You see the comparison game that we play? Is I am not as sick as, and we always find somebody who's worse than we are, right? We've never looked the other way. We always look towards the people who are like a total just mess. We go, oh, oh my gosh, my brother, my sis, my sister, my sister. What an absolute disaster she is. And the guy she married, oh my gosh, it's downhill from here. Anyway, uh, we always look at the person whom, whom we think is doing not quite as good as us. And so somehow, because we're doing better than them, morally or whatever, uh, that we're not as, as sick. But that's kind of like saying, well, I only have stage three cancer. You have stage four cancer. So I'm not really that sick. It's like, no, you are. They're just going to die before you. But you're both dying. You're, you're both corrupted. You're both sick. And so some of us, um, it doesn't take much convincing that we are pretty messed up people that we have uh, messed up our lives, even at a young age, we're looking at, we're full of regret and shame, and we look at the mistakes that we've made, and we go, look, you're preaching to the choir right now, because if you're trying to convince me that I'm messed up, that's why I'm here, because I know that I'm screwed up, that I've, I've done some things that I'm not proud of. And the good news is that being messed up qualifies you as one of the people that Jesus came to save is Jesus came to save the messed up, and he says that everybody's messed up, but the only people that are actually going to be saved are the people who realize, who know that they are sick and in need of help. Think about this is um, when I go to the doctor, uh, it has, it, it, it's because I know that I'm sick, that I can't fix myself, and that I am in need of help. Now, me, me acknowledging my sickness or not has nothing to do with whether I'm sick. But me getting help does have the, I have to, I have to acknowledge that I'm sick. So um, a couple, let's see, a year and a half ago, I was jumping on a, uh, one of those bounce house trampoline places, jump sky high kind of places. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's a bad idea. I'm overweight and old. And so I went into one of those places with my kids, jumping, having so much fun. Uh, we were with another family. I'm jumping. I hear this in my leg, just popped my ACL, it was done. I walk out of there and I'm kind of like hobbling along, like it doesn't hurt, I'm fine, you know, like I'll walk it off. And it took me uh, three months to finally go to the doctor. I couldn't walk, I couldn't like stretch my leg straight and my friend had to make the appointment for me because I simply would not acknowledge the fact that I was sick and I needed help. I'm gonna walk this thing off. I'm gonna fix myself. I'm gonna be, and I get this from my dad. He does the same thing. This week, he was super sick. He couldn't get out of bed. And I'd go, hey, how are you doing? He's like, oh, walk, I'm fine, I'm fine. I think I'm, I'm on the upswing right now. You know, I'm totally, I'm like, bro, you can barely talk. You need to go to the doctor. You need to admit that you have an issue. And the same thing is true of us spiritually. Is at a soul level, many of us go, I'm gonna fix myself. I'm gonna make myself better. I'm gonna get myself out of this mess. And Jesus is going, see, the longer that you wait, the worse it's going to be. The sooner that you acknowledge that you're sick and that you're broken, you can finally get the help that you really need. And so the good news for us is you can never be too screwed up for Jesus. 
I love the people that Jesus hangs out with because these people have done anything and everything under the sun that you and I would morally cringe at, and yet these are the people that Jesus is hanging out with. These are the people that Jesus is investing in. And here's the other thing, and this is going to sound a little controversial, but let me explain it, is you don't have to believe in Jesus in order to start following Jesus. Now, this was kind of a, an interesting moment that I had when I was in seminary is um, one of the first classes I think that we took was uh, a theology class. And the teacher said, when did the disciples, these guys who were following Jesus around, when did they become Christians? When did they start like believing in Jesus? Well, I don't know. But clearly when he said, follow me, they didn't believe in him yet. They weren't sure who he was, if he was the Messiah. They didn't know about the resurrection, anything like that. And so uh, the point that he was making is you can begin to follow Jesus, his teachings, you can learn about him, you can become a disciple of him without fully believing in him. Now, eventually you gotta make that decision, you gotta figure that out, but that doesn't mean that you can't begin to follow Jesus here and now, even if you're not even sure um, who Jesus is. So anyway, uh, the Pharisees flip out during this whole scene and um, they kind of thought, you're hanging out with these people. And by hanging out with these people, you're going to get contaminated. Now, we all know in physical contamination, right? We don't want to be around people who have a sickness. And so uh, we try to avoid being with my kids. They're not allowed to go to school if they have a temperature and things like that because we don't want to infect the other kids. Um, I don't go to work. If you're sick, you don't go to work. It's because there's some contamination there. And so the Pharisees are kind of thinking, you know, there's physical contamination. You can get, for example, leprosy. If you were a leper, you couldn't be around people. You were an outcast. You had to yell if you were coming around. Well, the same thing can happen morally is if you hang out with people who are morally corrupt, then you can be contaminated as well. And so as they're watching Jesus hanging out with these morally corrupt people, they're going, wait, 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 what are you doing? You're going you're gonna to get, get caught up in, what, in their mess. And this is kind of true. Like, I know we're not supposed to side with the Pharisees. You know, they're always the bad guy in the story, but I kind of get it is because there are certain things where we say like bad company corrupts good character or you are who you hang out with. In fact, you remember growing up, your parents were very upset about this person or this group that you hung out with. Why? Because you, they didn't want you to be influenced by them because they're bad news. So I kind of get it. Like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these people? And so there is this tension here. Because Jesus is hanging out with people who are, on, uh, are morally on the, probably the, the fringes of society, and yet he's supposed to be there for those very people. And I think the tension there that we feel is that Jesus kind of challenges everybody. He challenges the conservative Christians, the people who say, I would never, oh my goodness, you smell like alcohol, get away from me, Satan, right? Like we would never, we would never be around those people. And I think that Jesus comes and he, he challenges us to stop being so judgmental and self-righteous and get out and start loving people who uh, might be moral outcasts. But then at the same time, and to be honest, this is probably where young adults struggle with a little bit more, is he also challenges the more liberal side of, of Christianity, which is something like, well, you know, Jesus drank, and so I drank, <laughs> okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus hung out with prostitutes, so never mind. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, and the thing that I would say to those who are like, well, you know, Jesus drank, and so I drank, Jesus went to parties, so I go to parties, and blah, 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 blah. I would say, look, yes, that is, that is right, and, and you're doing a great job hanging out with people who are, who are pretty far from God, but the problem is you're not doing a very good job acting like Jesus when you do. 
And so there is this tension that we have to live in, in which we are acting like Jesus, and yet we are reaching people. And, and I think the tension is, um, that we have to live in is really personal, because the balance depends on um, your past and kind of your disposition. So, for example, I've never had alcohol before. I've known that there's alcoholism that runs in my family, want nothing to do with it, so I've fully stayed away from alcohol. And so when I hang out with people who are having alcohol, it is not a temptation. I have gone all this time without drinking. I am not, it's not gonna happen for me, it's done. But you might be in recovery. You may have had an alcohol problem. And so for you to be hanging out with those people would not be a good idea. And so a lot of the tension that we have to live in is, okay, I want to love people who are far from God, and yet I want to make sure that I am following him as well. And so you have to live in that space where how do I love the people who are on the outside, but how do I not get influenced by those same people? So uh, the first question that we had was, uh, who is Jesus' ministry for? Anyone who is open to Jesus' message and his mission. And then why? Because there are sick people who need healing and Jesus says that he's the only one that can truly heal. So where does Jesus' ministry take place? Here's what I uh, find really interesting about Jesus' ministry is Jesus could have, because he's out doing miracles, he's seeing these profound teachings, tons of people are following him. Here's what he could have done. He could have opened up shop and said like, okay, so this is where I will be. You guys can come to me. We'll pay admission. You guys can have a season pass. It'll be great. Come to Jesus' land and, uh, and I'll preach and I'll teach. And I'll, but that's not what he does. He could have posted up, he could have set up shop, but he doesn't do that. What it says here is that he went to the tax collector's booth and then he went into his home. And we see this over and over again, that he goes to people's homes, that he goes and finds people, he'll go on a hillside and speak to people, he'll even speak from a boat, he'll go wherever the people are. And this is, this is really important, not just in understanding who Jesus is, it's for understanding what our responsibility is when we're trying to do what Jesus did is that Jesus came close to those who were far away. That he knew that healing had to take place face to face. So uh, about 70 of you guys are gonna be going to Guatemala pretty soon, which is super exciting, yay, yay. And, um, and, uh, and one of the best parts about that is um, you're gonna get to be up close and personal and really bring hope and healing to people. Sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's spiritual, but can you imagine if we tried to do that and we said, okay guys, we're gonna go and we're gonna impact Guatemala and the way we're gonna do it is we're going to uh, FaceTime them, okay? We're gonna FaceTime them. I don't know if they have that there, but we're really good. We're gonna, we're gonna FaceTime them and we're really gonna bless them that way. Now, the impact of FaceTiming them versus being in person uh, is, is not, really, uh, not really similar because you have to go and you have to sit with this little lady, you have to sit with these kids, you have to sit with this dad, and you have to be face-to-face -face with them and go, okay, tell me about your life. Tell, tell me how you feel. Tell me about what's happened. What do you hope for in the future? Can I pray for you? What can I do? Can I bring you a meal? How can I address the needs that you have? Because real hope and healing has to be done in person. It has to be done face to face, which means I have to be willing to get outside of my comfort zone in order to go and impact people. Very rarely will people come to you and go, hey, um, I saw you sitting over here drinking Pete's coffee, super sexy. And um, like, what's that hope that's in your eyes? <laughs> I'd be like, well, first of all, thank you. Um, uh, second of all, what? <laughs> They're never going to do that, right? No one's ever going to come to you and go, can you tell me about the hope that you have that is within you? Maybe it's Jesus. I don't know. No one tees it up for you like that. You got to just go out and you got to get outside of your comfort zone. You have to go where the hurting people are. Luke 19, uh, it says this. It says uh, that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost 
Whenever we hear about Jesus' mission, it's always this active, not passive thing. That he has come, that he is going out, that he is seeking. It's not that he is sitting, that he is waiting, that he is receiving. It is always him being active when seeking people. So what does this mean for us? Verse 13 goes on, it says, but go and learn what this means. So Jesus is giving the Pharisees here, he's responding to the Pharisees' question, he's giving them a rebuke because these people are very well educated. They read the scriptures all the time. They know the laws of the Bible. And then he's quoting an Old Testament passage, kind of shoving it in their face. It says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, I'm not content sitting around reading the Bible all day because that's what the Pharisees would do. I'm not going to debate the law and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And I'm going to go out and I'm actually going to change the world. I'm actually going to bring healing and hope into people's lives who are far from me. So the opportunity when I read this and I think about young adults, the opportunity that you have and and the challenge that Jesus is giving us is that you and I get to bring hope and healing into the world. Now, if you're a Christian, you already knew this, but here's what you probably do not know, is being a 20-something means that you can have the biggest impact out of anybody in this entire church. Here's why. is because in your 20s is the time in which you will make decisions that will change the trajectory of your life. I'm going to tell you something, uh, maybe give you a couple stats that are surprising and startling at the same time and hopefully motivating, is that the decisions that you make before 30 or sometimes 35, will define what the rest of your life looks like. The decisions you're making right now, you will live out for the rest of your life because you're gonna make 80% of your biggest decisions in your 20s or before age 30. Now, hopefully that terrifies you a little bit because what you are doing right now is just gonna be, you're gonna be living out whatever you have decided in your 20s. Because here, here, let me give you a couple stats and uh, maybe I can make sense of this. Um, 50% of married couples start dating their spouse before the age of 30. And so um, you, the chances are that you're probably going to meet and begin to date the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Now, if you are a mess in your 20s, guess what kind of person you're going to be attracted to? A mess. And then the rest of your life, however long that marriage lasts for, you're going to have to deal with that. Because who you are in your 20s matters because it will affect the rest of your life. Because you're going to marry somebody like yourself. If you're a mess, you're going to marry a mess. There's nobody who's like got it all together and go, you know what? I could really use a project. I think I'm going to marry you for a mission. You know, like I'm going to work this out for the rest of our life. I'm going to fix you. Good luck with that. All right, how about this? Um, 70% of wage growth happens in the first 10 years of your career. And so you are going to probably reach your highest potential within the first 10 years of your job. That means that um, after that, you're either going to stagnate or you're going to slowly decline. Because what you do in your 20s and in your early 30s drastically impacts your work career. Also uh, true of your, your health is there is a very strong correlation between being healthy in your 20s and being healthy in your middle age years and vice versa, is you're setting patterns for your eating and for your exercise. Remember when I heard this, I remember hearing this in my 20s and I was like, I am gonna be so fat by the time I'm 40 if I do not do something. Look, I'm still struggling, okay, but I'm struggling. I haven't given up yet because I realize that there's patterns that I'm setting. And so I have to begin to set those patterns now because when you wake up and you're 50 and you're super overweight, guess what you're not gonna be doing? Dude, I think I'm gonna start running marathons and stuff. You know, like for sure I'm going to. You're like, nah, it's over. I'm done. I've given up. 
Because it's way harder as you get older to begin to change your habits. And there's a reason for that. Biologically, there's a reason for this. It's because your brain stops its last growth cycle in your 20s. And so what happens is you're learning, you're growing, you're, you're making all these connections in your mind, you're setting all these patterns, and then eventually it kind of stops growing, and then whatever you have set up during that period is kind of what happens for the rest of your life. It's like, I'm programming, 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 it's programmed, and now we're off into the distance. Because you are still programming your mind in your 20s, but eventually that's going to, that's going to stop, and now you're just going to be living out whatever it is that you have put in. This is also true of our, uh, our spiritual lives. And I kind of like to think of it like this, is um, it's like an airplane taking off, is when an airplane is taking off, even just the slightest little turn over the course of time will dramatically change the direction in which that airplane is heading, right? Just when you take off, if it's just a hair off, as you exaggerate that line into miles and miles and miles, it's gonna end up in a totally different place than the plane that just took off going straight. That is exactly where you're at in your life right now. And I hope that it is scaring the crap out of you because some of us, we need to grow up because here's the deal is not only is this true in your marriage and in your health and in your, your work, but it's also true of your faith. 98% of Christians become Christians before the age of 30. So if you end up in your thirties and you are not a Christian, there's a 2% likelihood that you'll become a Christ follower. That is astonishing. That's crazy. And so that makes not only the decade that you find yourself in the most important for you personally, but it also is the most important for everybody around you because the clock is ticking and the closer you get to 30 and then 35 especially means that your life is pretty much just going to be an unfolding of the decisions that you have already made. That most of the things that you have decided, the patterns that you have set is what you're gonna live for the rest of your life. But that also gives us an opportunity. So um, this isn't in my notes, and let me see how much time I have here. Oh, I'm killing it. Okay, good. Um, we have kind of been sold a lie here in the United States and in the Western world in general, is that there is this in-between space um, where you can be a kid and you can be an adult. It's called a cadult, in which you can still, like, you can have all the privileges of being an adult, but, like, none of the responsibility. And so you get to live as a kid. Woo! but then you get all the pleasures of an adult. See, that's, that's made up. That's not real. Because what happens when you, uh, when you mess up as a adult is you still get the consequences of an adult. That divorce is still real. That arrest is, is still real. Those mistakes that you made, those are, those are still with you. The decision that you make, you're, they're, they're still a part of your adulthood. And so when we are in our 20s, and uh, there's many authors that call this the defining decade, it is going to be so important, not just for you, but for the people around you, which means that we have a huge responsibility because all of your friends that are under 30 or under 35, especially those who are right in the middle of their 20s, that they are defining what the rest of their life and their eternity is going to look like right now. Right now is when they are making those decisions, which is, which is a scary thing for sure. But that means that if we are gonna be serious about our faith, we have to be serious about sharing our faith with the people around us, especially those that are in our age, age category. Because as they get older and as they start having kids, it doesn't get any easier. They don't become more open to it. It's pretty much it, is when you are 30 and you haven't made that decision, it's gonna be very difficult for you to know Jesus after that. And so I'm gonna be uh, 
totally real and blunt with you here. And if you're not a Christian, uh, maybe this will give you a little insight into why we're so, uh, we're, we're so passionate about this idea. Is because we believe that everybody is going to end up somewhere. That when you die, there is a life after this. There is a heaven and a hell and that you will end up in one or the other. And we do believe Jesus claimed that depending on your relationship with him will define where you're going to end up. Now, I'm not here to scare you. I'm like, you're going to hell above. That doesn't work. I get, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, hellfire and brimstone. And no, we just think this is a reality. And so as we think about our friends who don't know Jesus yet, and we think about our priority list of things that we're concerned about, unfortunately, a lot of times those don't really, those don't really align. Because most of us are concerned with, I got to graduate. Oh, I got to get into that program. I got to get my master's. I got to, I got to make sure that I, uh, I get that job and I got to marry that right person. And I got, and, and we're thinking those are good and you need to hustle and you need to get after those things. And I want you to work hard for those. However, if on your list of priorities is, and I need to make sure that my friends know Jesus because the clock is counting down. They, the window of opportunity for me to share my faith with them is slowly closing and will eventually be shut before I know it. And so I have to make sure that I am super intentional as much or even more than all the other things that I'm concerned about is making sure that my friends know Christ because I know that that window is going to close. And when we're 35, when we're 40, 45, they're going to go, eh, not interested at all. But in their 20s, they would have been open to it. And so as a pastor, I... Uh, I get to see people come to Christ and it's the best part of my job. And, and I do get to see those 2% those of people who never knew Jesus until later in life. And it's pretty astonishing watching, um, watching what happens to them. So I have a friend at the gym, he's in his 60s and we talk and he goes to church here and, and we, uh, we chat all the time about just church and life and, and he shares his story with me and, and he says, you know, I never went to church until just a few years ago after he retired. I've never been to church, never thought about faith, anything like that. He's like, my life has changed so much now that I know Jesus. And it's like, so, so cool. But then he begins to explain that he wishes someone would have told him this earlier in life. Because his life could have been drastically different. Now he's at the end of his life. And yes, he knows Jesus. And that is an incredible thing. However, he now has a lot of years in which he goes, you know, I've I got a lot of unnecessary pain and failure and regret because if I had known this before I got married, before I had kids, before I started that career, it would have changed everything. And so it's not just like this pie in the sky, okay, heaven and hell is in the balance kind of thing and we'll see what happens and whatever. No, no, it's a here and now kind of thing as well. Because if you do care for your friends, you're not only going to change what happens to them in eternity, you're going to change what happens to them in the here and the now. See, the reality of giving our life to Christ is not just that we are saved from hell. It's that we're also saved from making our lives into a living hell here and now. I can't imagine what kind of life I would live if I were not a Christ follower. It would be a complete disaster. And that's what's going to happen to all of our friends and family who don't know Jesus, by the way. Yeah, it's the craziest thing, but I have seen this happen over and over and over again. Unless you are following Jesus, the likelihood of you ending your life and going, you know what, that, that, went, that went well. I, I'm satisfied. I'm happy. No, because there's destruction along the way. Again, remember at the beginning we talked about sheep. We just run off of every cliff that we can find. We love to self-destruct. That will happen for the rest of their lives. And so we will see the marriages break up. We will see their kids go off track. We will see them being unfulfilled. Even those whom we go, they live the American dream will end up devastated in the end because it was never enough. 
And so not only are our friends saved from something in the future, they're saved from something here and now. And so let me finish with this. Is our, uh, our church and this group especially, our vision is to be a place where you can invite those who need to know Jesus. A place in which they will feel comfortable. Hopefully it's not awkward. It's not weird. We don't do anything that they don't like. Hopefully that they go, you know what? I'm not sure about Jesus, but I like this place and I like these people. And I can ask questions and I can, uh, I can raise my concerns and I can observe and I can learn and hopefully I can have some fun along the way. And one of the things that I've realized as of recently is, uh, is, and maybe you've experienced this if you've been a Christian for a while, is my Christianity, or at least my excitement for being a Christian kind of wanes over time. Like the longer that you're a Christian, the kind of the more like, eh, it's cool. Yeah, I like Jesus. Yeah, no, it's good, but it's great. You know, because you kind of get used to it, right? The honeymoon's over. Well, one of the, my honeymoon has never been over with Amy, by the way. Where are you? It's, okay, brownie points. Um, as I've been a Christian longer and longer, it kind of stagnates a little bit. And I've realized something as of recently. If I want to get my passion for Christ back and I want to get that excitement back, I have to move from being someone who is a consumer to a contributor because that's what's at the core of the faith. When I look at, um, I have some friends, uh, now that my kids are in school, I get to kind of hang out with other parents and get to know people in the community and stuff like that. And it's given me a totally fresh vision for people who are not here yet. Because I watch them and I go, oh, I just so badly want you to be here because I know what kind of change it can have in your life and in your kids. And I know what this can do for you guys. And so it just gets me all amped up and excited. And so this illustration, I, I used it before and it probably doesn't work for you, but just follow along with me because I'm, I'm, I'm old, is I have three kids and as I've gotten older, Christmas become, kind of becomes meh, whatever. Right? I don't know, maybe you're still really into Christmas, you have your footy pajamas, great. But as I've gotten older, Christmas is like, you know what, all the presents that I want, I can buy for myself, and I have to spend a bunch of money on, on junk for other people that they don't want and I don't want it, and it's just kind of a waste, you know? I, look, I'm cynical, all right? And I kind of get over Christmas, but then the craziest thing happens. When you have kids, your excitement for Christmas goes back to when you were a child, because you're like, it's Christmas, oh my gosh, I can't wait, we're gonna open these presents! You're like, wake up, let's go, Christmas time. Because you now begin seeing Christmas through a child's eyes again. If you want to get your excitement for Christ back, you need to bring other people into the faith and you'll begin to see the faith through their eyes and remember, ah, this is why I'm a believer. This is why I follow Jesus. Because look at what is happening right here. Look at the change that is taking place in their eyes. That's why Jesus has called us to go out to seek and to save the lost. It's for them, but it also has a benefit for us. And so here's the challenge. And this is a challenge in which, I, if you've been around church, you've probably heard quite a few times because it's a, it's a tenant of the faith, it's, it's central, is that we have to go out and be willing to risk our own embarrassment and humility and even relationships in order to make the big ask. The big ask is, hey, will you come to church with me? Hey, you know what? I've been thinking about some big questions. What do you think about this? I did it uh, uh, with some of my friends who are not believers. I went and I, I told Amy, I said, you know, it's time for me to go and make the big ask, right? She's like, oh, all right. Don't offend them, though. I'm like, I can't, I can't help that. Hell's real. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but, but eventually it comes to that point in the relationship where I know it's going to have to happen. You know, like, I don't know if uh, this, this used to be a thing back in the day. And let me check time real quick. Uh, yeah, this used to be a thing back in the day when I was a college student um, called a DTR. 
Is this still a thing? Do you guys know what this is? DTR, define the relationship. Where like eventually if you're hanging out with the opposite sex and you guys are interested in each other, you eventually get to the place where you're like, so like, what's up, dude? Like, are we like, I mean, yeah, or, huh, huh, yeah? You wanna like be my friend or something? I don't know. Eventually, yeah, that's how, that's how our conversation, Amy and I's conversation, I was like, hey, what's up? You know, freaking like just, I don't know, chill or something? Like whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, because that relationship gets to that point in which you go, okay, I've got I've to define this thing. I've got to see where we stand. Well, eventually, I think your relationship's got to get to this place where you go, okay, I got to talk to you about what's most important in my life. You, I care for you. You care for me. And so I got to tell you about the most important thing that I have in my life. Eventually, your relationships have to get to that place. And it could be an ongoing conversation. It could be a every Christmas and Easter and big events and this. I'm like, hey, by the way, I still go to church. You should come with me. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you at Christmas, you know, or whatever. It's fine. It's an ongoing conversation because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the bottom line is you don't know what hangs in the balance of that invitation or that conversation. It could be nothing. It could be an awkward conversation that you go, oh, I was uncomfortable. You could walk away going, man, that was kind of useless. Or it could be something that drastically changes the trajectory of someone's life. Because here's the thing. Some of you showed up that very way. You're sitting in these seats because someone at work or someone at school or someone in your family said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? I'm all right, I'll check it out, I guess. Hey, why don't you come to Young Adults? Hey, why don't you join Rooted? Hey, why don't you become, why don't you go to Guatemala? You go, all right, I'll check it out. And it was that simple invitation that changed your entire life. See, we have to be people who are willing to step out and make that simple ask. And so here's what we're going to challenge you guys to do. Is, um, this is a ministry that is incredibly important, not only to this church, but to this community. And again, we know the statistics. If there's going to be life change in this community, it's going to happen in this demographic. It's going to happen in the 20-somethings. And so... The ask on your part is to just go out and simply just invite somebody. See what happens. If they say no, that's fine. That's okay. But just, just, I want you to come and check it out. In fact, I'll make Matt give you something next week. I don't know what it is. It'll be really good. Part of his paycheck. I don't know. We'll see. That's not big enough. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, but, but that's the thing. And, and here's the cool thing, and I'll finish real quick with this, is eventually if you do make that ask, and, and God does something in that moment, and that person does come to your church, and it becomes their church, they may be introduced to your Savior that becomes their Savior, and you now have done something far bigger than any job, any relationship, any missions trip that you could go on. You have now impacted someone's life and eternity. There's nothing better that you can do with your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this group. We thank you for uh, the energy, the excitement, um, the possibilities that we have. Lord God, our whole life is in front of us, and that is so incredibly exciting. It's scary. We don't know what it looks like. It's so full of questions and, 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 and fears that we may have, and yet we trust that you are in charge, that you have a plan for our life, Lord God. As a part of that, we want to be right at the center of your will. We want to be people who are making an impact Yes, it would be incredible to meet people's physical needs and to help them emotionally, but we want to be people who impact them spiritually. And so, Lord God, um, put somebody in our minds right now that we are supposed to have that conversation with, somebody in our life that we can just say, hey, come to church with me. Hey, I want to talk to you about something. Just come and check out. Come and see. 
And Lord God, we just pray that you would be working on that person's heart right now, Lord God, and that you would give us the strength to step up and to make the big ask. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.